You're listening to Strong Runner Chick Radio, where our goal is to educate, empower, and connect female distance runners. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave a review on iTunes or any platform of your choosing or share it with someone who might find this episode helpful. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. Special shout out to today's sponsor and the sponsor of this entire Health as a Foundation to Sports series, Athlete Blood Test. They provide individualized, athlete-specific blood analysis to discover your unique nutrition, training, and recovery needs. Join the thousands of enthusiasts, elites, and pros that have already used Athlete Blood Test to help reach their goals. Testing is easy. Simply go to athletebloodtest.com, choose your panel, and schedule an appointment at a conveniently located lab core. Whether you're running your first marathon or competing to win, we're cheering for you, and we can help you get there. Use code SRC15 for 15% off your first panel. Hello, hello, Strong Runner Chicks and those who are listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Emily Krauss, who is an MD, a clinical assistant professor in primary care sports medicine at the Stanford Children's Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center. She can be found at emilykrausmd.com. And she's also the director, which we get into, of a new program called the FASTER program with no E. So it's F-A-S-T-R stands uh, for Female Athlete Science and Translational Research Program under Stanford. So I highly recommend looking into this program. Uh, She mentions on the show, Dr. Megan Roche, who's also been on the podcast and of course has her own podcast swap with David Roche, is a wonderful human and researcher as well and part of this whole initiative to bring light to women in performance female athletes and really study a lot more into this whole realm. So she says it better than I ever could, but she shares a lot more about her research, most current. We also get into some questions she hasn't been asked before. So you may have heard Emily on a lot of, or Dr. Krause, I call her Emily as she prefers Emily in the show, but um, we get into a lot of other just questions that maybe Emily hasn't been asked before or, um, you know, you won't hear about another podcast. So again, I encourage you to tune into others as well as this one. Um, I also, you know, encourage you to look into the FASTER program and see how you can support, even if it's just following on Instagram, contributing to research in any way, or bringing light to the studies that they are undergoing. Lastly, I want to call out the fact that it is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, and it goes without saying there are a lot of people, a lot of us out there who have struggled with an eating disorder or disordered eating patterns or habits, or maybe we know someone who has. And so it's really important to educate ourselves on these topics and really, really think about how we can contribute to solving the problem, whether we're coaches, whether we are friends, what more can we do to help prevent and treat eating disorders, especially as it relates to sport and performance, as we can see more from this episode. So we talk a little bit about not eating disorders specifically in this episode, but more so red S and 
fueling patterns or, or different different patterns in general that can contribute to factors like red S or bone mineral density, um, stress fractures, and all of Emily's research. So we dive a little bit into that, a lot into other things as well. Encourage you to listen to this one and uh, again, participate in any way that you can. National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, not trying to get anyone to necessarily share their story, but if you do feel called to share your story in any way, shape, or form, again, that's always an opportunity to help others in seeking treatment, breaking down the stigma around it, and getting the help that they need. So thank you again so, so much for being a part of our community and for tuning in. Really appreciate you and enjoy this one with Dr. Emily Krauss. Hello, Strong Runner Chicks and all our listeners. Welcome back to another episode of SRC Radio. It's Megan on today, your host um, with Dr. Emily Krauss, who is on from uh, the Stanford Faster program, which we're going to dive a little bit more into today, which is all about female athlete science and translational research. I'm really excited to dive in with Emily, not only to this program, but her longstanding history in this field and women's health and sport, um, especially topics related to bone health, stress fractures, red S, low energy availability, and so much more. So thank you uh, so much for joining us, Dr. Emily. I'm really honored to have you here today. Megan, thanks for having me. It's such an honor to, to be on the podcast. And I think you're doing great things. I'm just trying to encourage um, all the strong runner chicks out there. Thank you. Um, yeah, that means a lot coming from you. And I know you work closely with Megan Roche, uh, Dr. Megan Roche, who's also been on our podcast before. So that's another great episode for those listening today. I wanted to dive in first with you, Emily, just um, Dr. Krause. I'm like, do you prefer call Emily? Me Emily? Please <laughs> okay. call me Emily. <laughs> <laughs> Always want to be mindful of that, uh, the doctor there. Um, so I want to dive into your personal experience in sport. How did you first get involved maybe in your own personal personal journey of athletics? And then how did this lend itself into the work you do today? Yeah, I love um, kind of, yeah, getting the getting the story when I talk with people and in my story. So I um, I'm living in California now, but I actually grew up in a small town in Nebraska called Holdridge, um, grew up under a big, big family that was super active. And we would go play tennis together and shoot hoops together. And I had two older brothers that I was always trying to keep up with. So I grew up playing a lot of different sports, tennis, golf, um, basketball, and then finally found myself into running during middle school. And um, that's where I just, I really fell in love with running and kind of had a knack for it. And so I did cross country basketball and tennis um, throughout high school and then cross country and the distances started to get longer as I, as I got older and I didn't end up running um, in the collegiate kind of in a more traditional collegiate um, team. I ran on my own and kind of used that as my outlet during my pre-med and um, I was a nutrition major in, in college. And um, I ran my first marathon in college, my last, my senior year of college or fourth year of college. And that was um, the San Diego rock and roll marathon, which I feel like the rock and roll marathon <laughs> is sometimes that entry or gateway oh, yeah. into the, the distance, distance running um, or marathon running. And at that point, I I was not coached. I was just found some online um, running tool or running program and um, ran completely solo, really had no, I mean, you hear the story all the time, had no idea what I was doing and um, wasn't really doing workouts, but um, survived um, without an injury. My first 
um, race. Um, it was painful, but um, I kind of came back for more and I've run now about 10 marathons, 150K ultra marathon. And now I've um, started to dabble more in the cycling world. Um, once I moved to the Bay Area for uh, my residency training, so I did my um, undergrad at University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and then went to med school at University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. And um, that's in Omaha is where I really started to find the running community component. And that just opened my world to um, how fun and empowering running can be with other people. And then once I got to um, Stanford for residency, that kind of carried that over, got experience exposed to trail running. And, and that was just um, this whole new adventure. And so now I'm doing kind of a combination of um, trail running, road running and um, mountain biking. So I got introduced to the bike in the um, when I was in the Bay Area and um, also some gravel riding too. So I think trails are my, my um, preferred terrain to, to run or ride on. Um, but I just it usually depends on um, the, the community that I'm around and surrounded with, and that oftentimes will, will guide my, my weekday or, and weekend um, adventure plans. I love it. I love hearing your, your background and story. It sounds like you've just had this long string of, of maybe positive association, hopefully for the most part with running to be able to, and different forms of movement too, like cycling. Um, I'm curious what your early experiences, not that you and I are that old, but we know how far the research has come in just mm -hmm. 10, 20 years, you know? And so what that looked like growing up in terms of like being a female athlete, and if that had any impact, like those early experiences where you said, I have to get into this work. Was that anything personal or how did you discover that? Oh, that's a great question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. So Megan, good, good question. I think, um, there were, especially growing up in a small town, I feel like the, the resources were a little limited as far as, um, um, other kind of female athlete mentors. I found that I was running with um, a lot of the, my male teammates a lot for workouts and running. And that was challenging as far as kind of that camaraderie component that you can get from running with other, um, other female and um, team members and teammates. Um, I would also say that just the overall knowledge and education on um, the female body and how that is different during puberty and during the transitions of puberty than the male body. Um, was just also really lacking and um, from um, menstrual cycle and understanding menstrual cycle and how um, important periods are. And um, I was um, put on birth control for um, irregular periods and during high school. And um, now that now I'm as a clinician and a researcher, those are things that I'm really trying to um, help athletes understand like when it's appropriate to start hormonal contraception for those menstrual irregularities. And so those were um, things that were just completely um, kind of, there was just a gap in the, in the knowledge and the translation of um, whatever research was out there. Um, it was not getting into um, the hands of the athletes and ears and eyes of the athletes at all. And then um, another, one of my own like personal struggles was when I was in med school. And so at this point I had a decent understanding of some of the physiology, but wasn't really putting all the pieces together um, to the point of even translating it into my own training. And during my um, kind of, I guess my first year of my intern year, which is always was the most intense year of my um, residency training, I was training for um, a marathon 
and um, was feeling really fatigued all the time and was like running at weird hours and just I feel like I was not feeling the gains um, at that point that I would have expected given um, my amount of um, training and volume. Um, simultaneously, I wasn't eating very much red meat at all. I found myself eating um, in, the, in the hospital cafeteria a lot and was kind of had those options and limitations um, there. And finally, there was one time we were, I was rounding with um, my whole um, medical team at the, at the VA and there were all these flights of stairs and I was in the middle of my training, still like a little fatigued, but not like kind of fatigued from a workout fatigue. And I was just huffing and puffing up the, up the stairs and these other, um, other members of the team who were not training and who were um, probably not as fit as I should have been um, were totally fine. And I finally kind of self-diagnosed and then was eventually diagnosed with um, iron deficiency anemia. My hemoglobin was so low that I could have um, I could have gotten a blood transfusion. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, okay, I need to take care of my body. I need to figure out how to take care of other people's bodies or, or help other athletes understand their bodies so that they don't get themselves into the situation where um, I had to back out of the um of that marathon. And I think I ended up um, recovering enough to run the half marathon, but um, it was totally preventable. So that was really, I think, um, fueled a lot of my interest and passion in, um, in sports medicine and female athlete medicine and running medicine. And um, that's just kind of grown exponentially since that point. Isn't it amazing? I always think with ourselves, right? It's sometimes so hard as much as you might know as a clinician yourself or as someone who studied this. I also went to school for nutrition. It sounds like you have a background in that mm -hmm. and just uncovering parts of, oh my goodness, I am so like I'm under fueling, you know, or I have iron right. deficiency and I study this. So it's right. Right. shocking at times, but yep. yeah, it's good that you were able to figure that out and that you have, I think even more so you have that personal connection to, you know, the work that you're doing and those that you're working with. So, mm -hmm. um, well, I really want to dive into the female athlete program and how this is sort of expanded into faster and what that's looking like. So I'd love to kind of dive into how maybe some of the gaps you were seeing, like as you started, you know, research and, and studying some of these topics, and then how did this lend itself into both the female athlete program and faster? Yeah, I think um, even since when you reached out to me, I feel like there's just been so there've been so many updates. So it's exciting to to share this with you because it is all pretty pretty fresh and a little bit more um, live and in the public. Um, but I think where I would like to start is when I started my my residency at Stanford, I got involved with um, a research study called the Healthy Runner Project, um, which um, my mentor or one of my mentors, Dr. Michael Fredrickson, um, he was a co um, investigator with Dr. Aurelia Nativ. And that was um, looking at um, collegiate cross country and long distance runners and looking at reducing um, bone stress injury, stress fracture um, incidents and severity through um, nutrition intervention um, and nutrition implementation program. And so through that, I just saw so many of the, the challenges um, that even collegiate runners were facing with um, these higher risk bone stress injuries and just the overall number of bone stress injuries and how important it was to really understand um, why they got there. And a lot of it was from some degree of low energy availability, whether it's from overtraining, um, under fueling or a combination of both. And that leading to um, 
the menstrual irregularities that led to the impaired bone health, um, which we call the female athlete triad. And then the expansion of that would be um, relative energy deficiency in sport. So all of these new terms were starting to come out kind of um, not, I guess the female athlete triad is um, decades old, but more research on the triad and different risk stratification tools for, for both were coming out. And for me, I thought, you know, that research is so important. We need to continue that momentum for that research. We also need to translate that information. And I, I want to be a part of both of those, those processes and kind of the different silos. And um, within the last year and a half, a new um, research initiative has been um, developed and has launched called the Wusai Human Performance Alliance. And that involves um, six different um, collaborating institutions and they're really studying health and human performance um, of, of all ages. And a subset of that um, area is area of research and focus is the female athlete. So Harvard Boston Children's are um, a, a big hub for a lot of the female athlete research. And then Stanford is also, um, also the other hub in that female athlete research. And so the female athlete program was, was developed and um, I was asked to direct that program. And I called that program FASTER with my team. We brainstormed and called that um, the program FASTER, which stands for Female Athlete Science and Translational Research. And it really is, um, that's our, our focus. And so um, Dr. Megan Roach is um, one of our lead researchers. And um, it's just, I've been working with Megan for about eight or nine years now. And um, we started working together on the Healthy Runner Project. So it's been um, really exciting to kind of grow and work with her. And um, we do ultra marathon research um, with the Western States um, research that we've worked on together. And then also um, with this um, FASTER program. And um, we're also, we have a couple of clinical research coordinators and we're continuing to build our team. And it's just it's been an exciting um, new direction for all of us um, to take um, within, within, the last, within the last year. That's really exciting. Yeah, and I'm uh, just seeing this come out, you know, on, on Instagram, you have an account now. So I feel like that's gonna help reach the masses, right? Because not all female athletes are, you know, a lot of us are on Instagram. Not all of us are looking through publications on the regular for uh, discovering more of, of how we can better take care of, of our bodies and our bone health. And I'm wondering if there are any maybe outstanding questions that you're really hoping to answer or dive into, or maybe areas that deserve a little bit further spotlight in your eyes through this program. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, I mean, you kind of highlighted it with, with the, the translation and with the method of delivery. I mean, so we created this social media platform on Instagram as kind of our starting point to just get people, um, to, or just share with people what our program is, who we are and what we're, what we're really trying to, to focus on. And, and our big target or our initial target is um, working with the younger female athletes um, to see if we can um, both disseminate this knowledge, but also change culture, body image, and um, even mindset of these athletes to hopefully um, both improve performance as well as reduce injury risk, um, kind of in the current, um, in their current um, seasons to um, both down the road and kind of as a lifelong athlete. And so um, our big um, kind of starting point is with a pilot study, um, the faster pilot study. And we're looking at um, using inspirational educational videos um, to see uncovering topics such as the female athlete triad, um, REDS, nutrition, menstrual cycle, um, bone health and mental health. 
and see if that can both um, enhance and improve knowledge, but also change some of those um, different um, characteristics or change the, even the culture um, within the sport. And I think it's challenging because we can, um, we can, I can give hundreds of lectures and make them readily available to uh, online and um, like as, as accessible as possible. But if they're not compelling and if they're not inspiring, um, I don't think that they're going to have the impact um, that they could have. And so that's where we're, we're pulling in these um, inspirational figures and um, top top athletes, top runners, um, and really just from all different sports and backgrounds and body types and really showing that, you know, you can be an athlete and um, kind of empowering these young athletes to mm -hmm. stay in sport. And so that's where our starting point is. And it's, it's kind of different than your typical lab-based science or um, a typical um, study, but I think the fortunate thing um, that we have within this um, Wusai Human Performance Alliance, as, all, as well as just being as part of Stanford and with Harvard, is we have all of these brilliant minds that we get to um, kind of pull into our team and collaborate with. And um, from, from psychologists to um, eating disorder specialists to um, sports dietitians to um, bone health experts and that's been really exciting. And I feel like we're just scratching the surface of the, the potential. And I think the biggest challenge right now is we kind of feel like um, we're like, all right, where do we begin? How do we stay focused um, with our with our efforts um, to make the biggest impact um, um, right away? Oh, I just love that you're focused on dissemination, impact, influence, like actually creating the change. Not that I think I have so much respect for researchers, but I think sometimes there it's almost like a wall between the public actually doing the thing and the research happening and having been in like the behavior change space and that kind of realm. It's like, it's so hard for us to change our behaviors, even if we're experiencing red S or amenorrhea or iron deficiency, like how do we actually get the change to happen? even if we know all the things, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the crux, right? And yeah. sometimes I'm like, is it the, is it come from the team captain? Does it come from the coach? Does it come from the parent? Um, or is it a combination of all of those things and everyone kind of being on the same page, kind of rolling with this wave and this movement. And I think we're, our target right now is um, with um, female high school runners, but I do anticipate that we'll um, want to share something similar to um, coaches and parents and um, also going up the, the age range to um, adult athletes. Yeah, I have so many, so many other questions and just, I'm <laughs> happy to hear this is happening. I've had this vision for a while, but I'm not like a researcher to disseminate necessarily, but just a vision of how can we get this into high schools? Like, how can we make this more common and coming from you all versus a coach that maybe doesn't have that background or how can the coach leverage the research and the science that's out there and your courses or your videos to create an impact within the team, right? So, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but like, we may have heard about some of these topics during our health classes, mm -hmm. but were we really listening and we, did we really kind of buy into it? And I think that's like, yeah. like, how can we get the buy-in from the athletes so that they can actually trust that this is, this is the, the way for better health and performance. Yeah. 
I have a question for you too on expanding the, I think for me, it's like the narrowness when I first heard about eating disorders, amenorrhea, like they were presented in this sort of way where, and I struggled with red S and amenorrhea for a long time through college, but I never felt like I fit the mold of that. Like I wasn't underweight and I wasn't, you know, classified as having low bone mineral density. So there are all these other indicators and I'm just wondering how you kind of plan or how either how you plan to share that information or maybe any findings that you've uncovered on, you know, that you don't have to be underweight to experience red S or some of these issues. And I know they're prevalent in men as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, we always, we, a lot, historically we've talked about, um, some of these, these issues with athletes that are amenorrheic. So they've lost their period completely. Um, but I think what we're seeing more now is that there are these subclinical menstrual irregularities that are, um, that aren't, um, that maybe an athlete still has these regular periods, but underneath the hood, things are still a little off and those hormones are being suppressed, but not to the degree that they're losing their periods. And it's like, well, then what do you assess? And sure, there's, there's different, different lab work that, um, you can get from a, from a physician's office or from, um, from a clinic. But what about um, in in a, on a team? And are there trends that we can we can track and, and see earlier on? And I do think that there are different clues as far as kind of fatigue or underperforming or some of these other um, kind of early subtle signs or even just like subclinical menstrual changes. And I I fully agree that there are um, it doesn't need to lead to a, a degree of weight loss or I mean sure we do see that in certain cases. But I also think that if the, if it happens in almost a more gradual process, there might be a responsive suppression of metabolism that's happening with that, yeah. that process. So the metabolism is slowing down as the athlete is doing, is making these changes to their diet and their training. And so they may, they may gain a little weight or they yeah. may have no changes in their, in their body weight. And, and so it's, it's really tough to to capture that. And, um, sometimes it's just like chronic underperforming or chronic fatigue that, that presents. Um, but I do think that these are things that should be investigated further. And maybe there are, um, some different, um, tests that we can get that aren't going to be too costly and, are, and that are accessible, but, um, yeah, you raise another good point. Uh, male athletes also can, um, experience low energy availability and, um, symptoms of, of reds and um, also kind of the male athlete triad, which is the equivalent of female athlete triad, except um, other types of hormonal suppression um, leading to kind of suppressed testosterone and um, yeah. impaired um, other, other impairments, other sex hormone impairments. Mm -hmm. and, and for them, sometimes there, we ask, like in clinic, we'll ask about like sex drive, libido, morning erections, things that should be um, pretty natural um, for especially a, mm -hmm. an adolescent or developing teenage right. athlete. But, but again, it's, it's, it's tough. And I think there is that, that gap within that literature. And I will say as far as kind of my clinical experience and even just this last week, I, um, and I think this is an important example and I'm sharing it because I, it was kind of a breakthrough for me and it took a while to get this information out of this athlete. And, um, she is a newer runner, um, probably two years of, of running so far, also kind of weird with the pandemic. Um, she came from kind of a more martial arts background. And so that was her kind of main, main sport. And so she did a lot of martial arts. I think she was, she, she was really good at it and really talented. 
And because she was so good and talented, um, she was asked to be parts of um, different teams. And so there was one point in her late middle school years where she was part of like three different teams at the same time. And at the time, it was it still wasn't so much that it was impacting her energy levels or anything, but um, she, she never really got consistent periods during that time. Body weight stayed the same. Everything else stayed um, was, was the same, but and so there wasn't really any big red flags. But in the end, um, and then she came to me with a, a stress fracture um, after a couple of years of running. And so we kind of started to do the, the deep dive and the digging and we're like, oh, you were overtraining, feeling probably about the same, and then growing and developing in your body. Mm. And, and when they put all those pieces together, it was just like light bulb moment. And and it was, it was really like a great experience. And they're like, okay, we've got a plan. We're going to like really dial in on the nutrition try not to like increase activity too much. But you think about those different time points, even throughout, throughout our lifespan, like think about all these different energy needs during, like during pregnancy and during um, the like, perimenopausal time, what do those look like? And right now the research is just like a black hole. We have <laughs> really no information on that. And so it's more just like, all right, this is what we think. This is um, what a lot of really strong athletes have done and we can use their experience and learn from that. But we really need to, um, as, as researchers kind of dive in and, and really try to, um, provide the science that backs some of those, um, theories. Mm. I, sorry, I went off on a big tangent there. But... Totally fine. Thank you for the example. I think that's always nice for listeners to say, Hey, I feel that too, or I've had that similar experience. And one of my questions too, I want to make sure this is applicable for those listening. It certainly will be with all of your research coming out. It's exciting, but in terms of someone that is experiencing, say there's an athlete listening, that's just like, I have been fatigued. I don't know why, you know, where should I pull back the hood as an athlete and mm -hmm. try and look into some of this, you know, where are there certain tests they should be getting with their doctors? Because I will say too, from my own experience, I've had some PCPs that don't quite, they don't quite, they, you know, they don't quite get yeah. it like you do. So that can be true. Yeah. It's such a, I mean, it's a great yeah. question. I think it, it's hard. Um, I think trying to find a, a specialist or, or ideally a sports medicine specialist, if, um, the insurance, um, can, can authorize that um, is always always the best to, to have someone who can really um, talk the talk and kind of have that the, the language and understand um, that that fatigue doesn't just always mean um, the answer isn't always oh just stop running as much <laughs> and I know I, I know a lot of listeners have probably heard that um, either through a, from a professional or from from a, a peer and it can be really discouraging and frustrating uh, but I feel like um, starting honestly, kind of starting with good monitoring and seeing um, ideally through training logs or um, even like menstrual cycle trackers and different things and say, hey, where did things start to drop off? And I mean, it could just be as simple as like, oh, I just I've been increasing my mileage and my, my dietary adjustments haven't really been um, as spot on and consistent and parallel with that. Or it could be uh, my, my iron intake has been consistent and I eat meat like maybe once or twice a week, or I, I supplement, but then maybe the intensity of the training has really gone up and that's really affected the body's ability to absorb. And so maybe that's um, causing this, this, these symptoms of fatigue. And so I think that like kind of just looking inward and seeing what, um, what that athlete can do as their own kind of, um, private detective investigator is always really helpful before going into a, a clinic visit or talking with a professional, because then you can be like, 
I think it could be my, and I always like to ask the athlete, I'm like, what do you think's going on? Oh, <laughs> and sometimes yeah. they're spot on. They're like, I think I'm overtraining. I think there's a nutritional component or sometimes they're just like completely off and they're not sure. But um, sometimes that can help with the clinician as far as where to direct the workup. And so oftentimes I am getting um, iron levels, like checking a ferritin and checking um, some basic labs, but I am pretty calculated as far as how to do that. I don't just do kind of mass workup on, on every athlete who comes into me with fatigue. It's kind of the, the dialogue and the conversation. So as an athlete, I think of course, like tracking menstrual cycle really, I mean, it's, it's hard if an athlete's on hormonal contraception for a number of reasons, um, but, um, kind of tracking training and tracking energy levels and also sleep and all these other stressors. I think as, um, as we get, um, kind of more advanced in our running and are having professional careers and trying to balance or building a family, I think those stressors can, um, even though they're positive stress can really still stress the body in ways more than we can um, really appreciate until sometimes somebody yeah. asks. Like, I just, yeah, I, I'm a running coach and I had an athlete tweak her back. She's like, I've never done this before. And I said, well, let's look at the past month. And there were so many life changes, like a move and visiting family across the country and a new job. And it was like, okay, maybe some of these kind of helped not helped, but kind yeah. of caused that yeah. or led to that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, it's hard to say, but yeah, certainly I feel like life stress has such an impact on our training too, mm-hmm. and our bodies. So for sure. Well said. So I have just a couple more questions for you. Um, one is maybe a, a tricky one, but you've done so much research when it comes to red S bone health, again, stress fractures. If you had to narrow some of these, like how to prevent or how to, um, yeah, three tips, I guess, to care for our health as female athletes, what would you say they are, or just a few that you've noticed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think these may sound obvious, but I've learned that even though the the obvious may (laughs) to me sound obvious, I'm like, I still need to share them. So I feel like my, like the low hanging fruit and the ones that I think all athletes should just be more mindful of is Um, I think periods are powerful and that we as female athletes, I think we can use that, um, as to gain a better understanding of our health and, and if possible, I know there are a lot of athletes are on hormonal replacement for reasons, um, to kind of use that period as, as an indicator and um, use that as, as a tool to enhance, um, training and performance and also help, um, an athlete understand when something might be off. Um, I think with both of our nutrition backgrounds, we can appreciate that food and fuel is, um, an athlete's friend and really trying to foster a healthy relationship with, with food and meals and a healthy relationship with, with the training in conjunction and and in parallel with that. And, um, I think that we talked about just kind of managing stress and sometimes listening to the body and taking that taking that rest day is, is better than trying to push through a workout sometimes. And it, it's helpful to have coaches. I will say a big game changer for me was getting coached, um, during, um, it didn't, I didn't get coached until I was at, at Stanford during my residency. And, um, David Roach was so helpful for me, like easy days need to be easy. Don't try and like go out there and uh-huh even though I'm like stressed out about something like it in residency, I don't have to take it out and like run as hard as I can every time. So really um, respecting the different life stressors, both the positive and the negative. And then um, I had one more. 
oh, strength training. I think that's the other um, piece that often gets under. I light um, up when people say that. I'm like, yes. Underappreciated. And a runner's got a lift. And it doesn't have to be um, in like the the typical weight room setting. But I think fine, like a little bit of strength training is better than no strength training. Consistent strength training is going to be safer and uh, more valuable both for performance and just injury risk reduction. And so as, as runners, I think, especially as runners are kind of gaining birthdays and evolving within the sport, bone health, um, and bone health all yeah. those things. Um, it's so important. So yeah. I think those are kind of my bigger tips that I would That's give. That's a major to one. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. That was four. So we got a little bonus Ooh, there. Yeah. <laughs> bonus. <laughs> Lovely. Um, so when you look back, like on your own experience as a female athlete, or just looking to, you know, again, a younger female athlete, what advice would you give? And maybe this is like high school age, but any advice, words of wisdom you'd share? Yeah. So I was a pretty high strung kid. <laughs> and I think a lot, I mean, uh-huh. I feel like a lot, a lot of, of people that yeah. I talk to, um, <laughs> a lot of runners, yeah, the same sentiment as runners. And I think, um, for me, I would get really worked up about an upcoming race and it would just almost consume me the week of, and I would almost like, I would lose enjoyment of, of the, of the runs and like just workouts and all the whole process. So I think one is to really, um, appreciate and embrace the process from that first day of practice to that, that race or that last race of the season. And, and I think the more you can start to, to do that, you can more, the, that last race or that last run, um, it's going to be that much more rewarding as you kind of look back at like all the highs and the lows, um, throughout the process. Yeah. Um, and then I think also just kind of based on, um, my own personal experience is really understanding the importance of, um, kind of my menstrual cycle as part of, as part of training and that losing periods is not, um, it's not a rite of passage. Um, and it isn't a sign that you're, um, now you're training hard enough. It's actually a sign that something's off and, and kind of, um, appreciating that that food is fuel and, um, is your friend. Yeah. And I think those are such great words to share. I also wanted to ask again, kind of a follow-up here, but to someone out there that's in middle or high school, they're young, they're like, or even college, they think, and maybe this was me too, like, this isn't going to impact me later on, right? If you lose a period for a season or two seasons, and then it becomes three years, like, how do you sort of, and again, it will impact you, but yeah. I'm wondering from the data research standpoint, do you have any studies you point to? Do you have like a case study you could share or you know, just anything that's going to help someone realize, oh shoot, like I really need to care for my body now and not wait 10 years or 20 years. Yeah. I think that there are, um, there's, there are studies on adolescent athletes or young, young athletes on, um, just injury risk with irregular periods, kind of more within season or kind of within the, the few years, um, they also see like, even just like some of the bone building benefits of different things, like multi-directional sports participation, um, those athletes that are, um, having irregular periods or don't have their periods, um, don't have those bone building benefits. And so I think that whatever an athlete can do during that, um, those first two decades of life to, to build their bones, um, is going to help longitudinal help in the long run, um, to help preserve their overall bone mass. 
And so I think I just kind of go back to like, this is your peak bone building time. And maybe an athlete um, comes to my clinic with a, with an injury, but I'm like, you're 15, it's not too late. And now we just need to really get things um, straight and turned around. So that way the next five, six years are really good years to build your bones. And sometimes that's hard for an athlete to like really appreciate that this is kind of a long game that they're, that they're involved with. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing is like, there's just short and long-term benefits of really optimizing um, that energy balance and, and understanding how to um, really kind of build the bones and um, some of those tips. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. I think that's just a key part of it too, for a lot of athletes at that young age is like, how can I recognize this as an impact, a lifelong kind of journey? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So last question I have for you is, and then of course, how, how can listeners connect? We'll get there. But lastly, what does being a strong runner chick mean to you? Oh man. I think for me, being a strong runner chick is, is really staying in it for the long game and thinking about, about the long game. So like thinking about both the next race, the next run, but also that run in five, 10, 15 years with maybe your best bud or running that marathon. And, um, how can, how can we stay as collectively as, as runners, as strong runner chicks, um, in, in the sport and really kind of maintain that, that love and appreciation for sport. And I think for me, that's, that comes from just kind of empowering others and encouraging others and educating, um, kind of leading by example and, and also just, um, appreciating the, the other processes outside of running the, the fueling, the, the strength training and, and just, um, kind of that, that balance. Um, and I think that can really ensure just a lifelong, um, success in sport and whatever that means. And I think that that uniqueness is really, um, is also what's so special about it. Ah, yeah. Good words. I, that reminds me of Kara Bazzi. I think at Opal talks about identity out outside of sport. That's super mm-hmm. crucial too. on like the maybe less physical side, but more of that mental component to sport and how to how to foster that. So it sounds like wonderful to hear too, that you're part of communities as well. And, you know, different forms of movement that are bringing you joy. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thanks so much um, for being on the show. I wanted to ask how listeners can support, learn from and connect to your work. Yeah. I think um, it's the easiest would be just through like through our website, faster.stanford.edu and faster spelled F-A-S-T-R, no E. And then we also have the Instagram. I think it's Stanford faster is our handle. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, I am really excited to continue learning from you and appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank you, Megan. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. Here all. Thanks for listening to the strong runner chicks radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.